The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today from the pulpit to the pew. If you turn with me in your Bibles to the 34th chapter of the book of Jeremiah, While you're turning, I just want to give you this hot take. <laughs> Most people's Christianity is, is useless. There's a lot of people gathered in Christian churches all around the world today, even in this hour in this city. And I'm telling you that most people's Christianity is useless by this measure. If your faith in God, if the power of God in your life is not enough to actually really change your life and set you free from the bondages that the devil has placed upon you, if your faith in Jesus cannot do that, what makes you think it's going to keep your soul out of hell on the last day? And there are, there are multitudes sitting in Christian churches today who have not been delivered, whose lives have not been changed. They are not serving the kingdom of God in any discernible way, not because they don't want to, but because they can't. They're in chains. Their spirit is still dead. They have not been set free. They have not walked out of any kind of prison cell because they have not experienced the jubilee resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And if all that is is words, then we are wasting our time here. If all that is is words, all that talk about the power of Jesus to really, truly, in this life, set you free. If all that is words, then may God damn me to hell for standing up here and preaching to you like I think there's something real about it. I know there's something real about it. I was that guy. In chains and bondage. And I've told you all this before. I'm not telling, I'm not 
Hopefully it won't scandalize you. I've told you it before. From the age of about four or five, when I was first introduced to pornography, I have been in bondage and chains for decades as a result of that. Thinking that this is what I want. You know how the devil tricks you? That chain isn't something that you feel as a chain. It feels like you going after what you want. And it winds up destroying your entire life. And you know it. As soon as you indulge in that thing that you think you want, and it destroys a part of your life, it destroys a relationship, it hurts people that you love and care about, as soon as that's done, you know this is of the devil. Uh, but I kind of want it. That's spiritual bondage. And I'm here to tell you the power of Jesus Christ is real. That chain that was on me for more than three decades, it's been left behind. I can stand before you with a clear conscience and tell you I'm free from what used to bind me. I'm free. Not because I'm better than you. I suspect some of you have had kind of the same sort of bondage, maybe. I'm free, maybe you're not. Oh, well, he must be great. He's a pastor. No, I'm telling you, the power is in Jesus Christ. I am a weak, weak man. I was in the emergency room yesterday, crying, scared. What is this thing that's got hold of me? Joyce would tell you. I was at a point of desperation. I'm not strong. I'm weak. And if you know that's you, I'm telling you that there is good news in that. Because if you think you're strong, Jesus doesn't necessarily feel any need to help you. Go on with your strong self. Right? It's when you're weak, that's when the power is right there. I haven't even started preaching yet. The reason I say that is because I'm excited because in the message that's here before us today, I believe the power of Jesus Christ to actually really in this life set dudes free. It's here. It's available. Now I have to calm down enough to read the text. I want to read Jeremiah chapter 34. And we'll read the whole chapter. It's a little bit of a longer reading, but we need this. Jeremiah 34, verse 1, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army with all the kingdoms of the earth that were under his dominion, and all the peoples were fighting against Jerusalem and against all its cities, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will burn it with fire. And you will not escape from his hand, for you will surely be captured and delivered into his hand, and you will see the king of Babylon eye to eye, and he will speak with you face to face, and you will go to Babylon. Yet hear the word of the Lord, 
O Zedekiah, king of Judah, thus says the Lord concerning you, you will not die by the sword. You will die in peace. And as spices were burned for your fathers, the former kings who were before you, so they will burn spices for you, and they will lament for you. Alas, Lord, for I have spoken the word, declares the Lord. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah, in Jerusalem, when the army of the king of Babylon was fighting against Jerusalem. And all the remaining cities of Judah, that is Lachish and Azekah, for they alone remained as fortified cities among the cities of Judah. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people who were in Jerusalem to proclaim release to them, that each man should set free his male servant and each man his female servant, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, so that no one should keep them, a Jew his brother, in bondage. And all the officials and all the people obeyed who had entered into the covenant that each man should set free his male servant and each man his female servant so that no one should keep them any longer in bondage. They obeyed and set them free. But afterward, they turned around and took back the male servants and the female servants whom they had set free and brought them into subjection for male servants and for female servants. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I made a covenant with your forefathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, saying, At the end of seven years each of you shall set free his Hebrew brother who has been sold to you and has served you six years. You shall send him out free from you. But your forefathers did not obey me or incline their ear to me. Although recently you had turned and done what is right in my sight, each man proclaiming release to his neighbor, and you had made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name. Yet you turned and profaned my name, and each man took back his male servant, and each man his female servant, whom you had set free according to their desire. And you brought them into subjection to be your male servants and female servants. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me. In proclaiming release, each man to his brother and each man to his neighbor. Behold, I am proclaiming a release to you, declares the Lord. To the sword, to the pestilence, and to the famine. And I will make you a terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not fulfilled the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between its parts, the officials of Judah and the officials of Jerusalem, the court officers and the priests and all the people of the land who pass between the parts of the calf. And I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. And the dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials I will give into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life and into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, which has gone away from you. Behold, I am going to command, declares the Lord, and I will bring them back to this city, and they shall fight against it and take it and burn it with fire, and I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. Thus far the reading of the word of God. Did you hear the freedom in that? <laughs> I, may, I may have to do some work to explain that. 
let's make sure we know what's going on in, the, in this passage. King Zedekiah is the king in question here. The king of Babylon made him king in place of uh, the actual men who should have been king, Jeconiah. So the king of Babylon made Zedekiah the king, but Zedekiah was always kind of crossways with the king of Babylon. Eventually, the king of Babylon brought his whole army and they came to Jerusalem and they put it under siege. We learn in a few chapters later, Jeremiah 37, what we'll learn there is that Zedekiah apparently made some kind of deal with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And while the armies are surrounding Jerusalem, uh, Pharaoh and his army started marching out of Egypt. And in response to hearing about this, the king of Babylon stopped besieging Jerusalem to go deal with whatever Pharaoh was doing. Now, apparently the passage that we have just read is in consequence of that event where the Babylonians were around Jerusalem and they had it dead to rights. So it was just a matter of time. And then events happened that made Babylon leave. And so here is where our story is. Babylon has left. They'll be back. They'll be back one final time, but they're gone for now. And it's looking like, hey, everything's good. So what had happened? Apparently, when Babylon was besieging them, apparently Zedekiah and all the people got real religious. Right? And said, oh, maybe, maybe God will save us. Y'all remember 9-11 and after 9-11, the pollsters all said that for about four weeks after 9-11, attendance in Christian churches went up, what, 400, 500%? After those weeks were over and it didn't look like any more buildings were getting blowed up here and there. Now what happened? Attendance went back down and it went lower. And as it stands right now, attendance in Christian churches in America is at its lowest point by percentage that it's probably ever been. But the, you get religious when bad things happen to your country that scare you, Right? Y'all have done jail ministry. And you know, it's easy to get religious in jail sometimes, right? Because bad things have happened. Now you're in trouble. Now maybe you'd like to have God around where two days ago, you'd rather God kind of stayed on his side of the fence and you'll stay on yours. So they got real religious and here's what they did. They decided what we're going to do is we're going to please God by setting free all of our slaves, so they did that. But then Babylon leaves and, oh, now we can get our slaves back. <laughs> oh, that's stupid. People wouldn't be that dumb. You see it all around you. When I was in bondage, I was this guy. I was this guy who would do whatever he thought it took to make God like me again after I'd sinned against him. But a little bit of time would pass and nothing terribly bad happened to me. And now I felt maybe more free to indulge that sin again. What is this talking about? God refers to the law where he says that if you're going to put a Hebrew in slavery, it can only last for six years and then you have to set him free. Do you understand what that law was? There are several different types of slavery in the Old Testament. None of them really look like the slavery that took place in the United States. 
Okay, but there were some forms of slavery that were allowed in the Old Testament. It's just that we would probably refer to those things as more like indentured servitude or something like that. So what was allowed was in Israel, if somebody was homeless, if they lost all their money, they can't they can't take care of themselves or their families. They could voluntarily sell themselves their labor and their time. They could sell themselves to someone more wealthy who would then take them and their family in and and make sure they didn't starve and had a place to live while this guy is working. And he worked as long as it took to uh, get rid of his debt unless six years were done. And now, no matter what his debt was, the law says the master is supposed to let him go. The law even says you're supposed to let him, you're not supposed to let him go empty, but you're supposed to freely supply him so that he leaves not as the same poverty-stricken man he came in as, but now he leaves as a man of means. And maybe now he's learned a work ethic. Maybe now he's learned a trade and knows how to keep himself afloat and his family and stuff like that. Okay, apparently in Israel, this law was never followed. From the time it was said, it was apparently never followed. In the same way, they were supposed to leave their fields fallow once every seven years. Never did that either. This is going to be important to you. Then later it talks about God's being upset, not just that you took the slaves, but it's right after you made a covenant that you were going to let them go. You broke the covenant. He mentions a curse upon all those who walked between the parts of the calf. Do you remember what that's about? When they made the covenant, they would take an animal and instead of just signing a contract on the dotted line, their way of ratifying the covenant was often to take an animal and they would kill it, separate two halves of it with all of its entrails and all the blood and all that. And the two parties in the covenant would walk between the pieces as a way of saying what I am now seeing on my right hand and my left as I walk between these pieces, may this be done to me and more also if I violate the contract that I'm making right now. And so the two parties would move through that, the pieces themselves, as a way of saying, yeah, I agree. This is what should happen if we break this covenant. And now God is just holding them to their own actions. You're the ones who volunteered to walk through the pieces Guess what? I'm going to hold you to it. You're going to get what you asked for. Are there any other questions or places in this text that you have a question about it so that the story flows? You understand what's being said here? Because I want to move on to a couple of observations that I have about this. And here's where we're going to get into freedom. If you're sitting there in chains, your freedom is so close. Your freedom is so close. The first observation that I want, want to point you to is that we should not trust in initial repentance. We should not, as church people, trust in an initial repentance. What do I mean by that? You have a church service where somebody gives a gospel presentation. Somebody comes down. 
the aisle and they pray the prayer and they say the words and they cry the tears and they do all the stuff. And then three weeks later, they're kind of in the same exact place they were before. You know what? Jesus knows all about that. And it's not the way it's supposed to work. Right? But we have churches all over. All we want is for you to come forward and pray the prayer. Not because of what that does or doesn't do for you, but we've got this record book where we're keeping track of those numbers. And it makes us look good if 50 people walk the aisle. We look like superheroes if 500 people walk the aisle. And so you come forward once and we'll put your number down. Six months later, if you feel like you need to come forward again, we'll put that number down too. We're happy to have you walk down as often as you want. And every time you walk down, we're going to say, Behold the power of God to save this repentant sinner who may not be repentant at all. He may just be feeling the fact that I'm in some trouble here. Maybe it's time for me to get some religion in my life. Amen? Am I talking to people who don't know that I'm saying the truth here? You cannot trust in initial repentance. The life of faith is a lifelong turning away from the world, turning away from sin, and turning toward the Lord Jesus Christ. What were these bad guys in trouble for? They repented of their repentance. It even uses the language. They made the covenant of repentance, and then God says, and then you turned around. Right? They repented of their repentance. We can't trust this. You especially cannot trust repentance that has been spurred merely by fear. Right? Where does real repentance come from? There have been times I've repented. Let me tell you, I repented hard because I got caught. And I was worried about the, what the ramifications were going to be. I know I'm different than everybody sitting here listening to me. Right? There's no repentance like repenting once you got caught. But the repentance that leads to faith and salvation and forgiveness of sins is not that kind of repentance. It's a spiritual gift by which you may not even know it. You know what? When I was converted, I repented and I had to find out later what that word meant and what I had done. I just knew the day, before, the day after I woke up from being converted, I realized that suddenly the things that I used to love, I didn't love those so much anymore. And in fact, some of those things started to disgust me. And I just didn't, I wanted nothing to do with them. It wasn't because some church guy came to me and said, if you're going to walk this aisle, you got to stop drinking, chewing, uh, chasing girls who do. You know, you can't, you got to. Uh, it was never about rules. It's about the power of God coming into my life and changing me so that suddenly I just didn't want those things anymore. It's not that I couldn't do them. It's that I didn't want to do them. Anybody experience that? You know that kind of repentance in your life? Where even if somebody comes to me with a rule, even if they don't, you know what? I only want to do these things here. I'm done with these things over here. 
The third thing that I want to tell you is that this fear-based repentance, while Babylon is outside the walls and you're making this covenant before God, you know what that is? That's actually a form of witchcraft. Because what it says is, now that we're in trouble, if we will go through this ceremony and do this religious exercise in a pure enough way, then from God, as if it, from a candy machine, we will get the treat that we're looking for to fall into the basket on the bottom. If your repentance is real, there's not a, there's not a team of horses anywhere that can keep you from repenting. Right? But if your repentance is just, you think, if I do this at this moment, then maybe God will respond with this. Guess what? That's trying to manipulate spiritual things. That's not humbling yourself. That's trying to control. I want you to turn with me to the fourth chapter of Luke. Look at verse 16, Luke chapter 4. Scripture says Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, stood up to read. In the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Watch this. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and all the eyes, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Listen, who's he talking to? He's talking to people who went to church that Saturday. He's not talking to blind folks. He's not talking to people who are sitting in a prison cell somewhere. Who's he talking to? Churchy people. And what's he saying? The good news is that your blindness can be healed today. The good news is that the release from captivity can be yours today. What, I'm just sitting on a pew. No, you can be set free. That promise of the Jubilee year when all the slaves were supposed to be set free. You know what? Does God care about slaves? Yes, he does. But he cares about the slavery that you and I free people are dealing with. Supposedly free people. Listen, Jesus was, was saying more than, he was saying more than this prophecy has now uh, found its end in the Messiah. He's saying, this I am, this is, I am the Jubilee. Your freedom is now. 
You do not need to be a slave anymore. <coughs> Some of you remain slaves because that thing that you desire seems better to you than what you think freedom looks like. Let's just be honest. Some of you remain slaves because that chain, you've grown so used to it that the thought of not having it anymore is maybe a little bit scary. Some of you remain slaves because the chain has become something that you love more than you love Jesus. You've made an idol out of the very thing that's got you in bondage. Huh. Sounds smart, right? I'm telling you, Jesus is here to set you free. Oh, pastor, them's just words. Fine, believe that if you want to. Believe that if you want to. Believe if you want to that you can go and hear good words in any place, any religion, any church. Believe that if you want to. But I'm telling you that the Bible says the kingdom of God is not about words, but it's about power. Not by human might or human power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And if that is not real, we're all wasting our time. Are you done playing church? Are you done being involved in an organization that just exists because, well, we got to do something on a weekend? If there's no power to it, what are you doing? When God finally did convert me, one of the thoughts that I couldn't escape, one of the thoughts that was going through my head and driving me crazy because I told myself I was a Christian the whole time. I really believed I was. I believed I was on my way to heaven. And one of the thoughts that just got me was, if that God that I heard about in church all those years, that God that I say I believe in, if that God is real, then why am I not experiencing any of the power that the people in the Bible experienced? Why is it just words in my life? And why am I not free? Couldn't get away from it. And by the grace of God, not because of me, because I was like you, I loved my chains. But by the grace of God, he began to show me there really is some power here. You haven't experienced it. You haven't seen it, but it's real. The fifth point that I want to make, just to have you think on it, is because Jesus is the Jubilee, because he shed his blood to pay for you, freedom is your legal right did you get that? Because Jesus paid to set you free, you have a right to be free. And no one has a right to keep you in bondage. Even if that person doesn't have a face, because he's a spirit of some kind. Right? Nobody has a right to keep you in bondage. 
Before Jesus, when it was just you out there doing whatever you wanted to do, guess what? The devil could have his way with you, and he had every right to do it because you had sold yourself into that slavery. But Jesus comes and sets the captives free, and now you have a right to freedom. It's yours. It's been bought. There's no more to add to it. The price has been paid. It's all done. So why you walk around like, well, maybe a little bondage? You don't have to. You can be in bondage as long as you want to be in bondage. I'm telling you, you don't have to be. The power is sufficient to pull you out. The last thing that I want Christian people to hear and understand, not only do you have a legal right to freedom, but Scripture says since you have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are no longer your own. You belong to Him. Scripture says, but you have a legal duty before God to remain free. Did anybody hear that? You have a legal duty before God to remain free. You wind up in bondage again, that's on you. Christ can set you free, and once he sets you free, walk like free people. Scripture says in Galatians 5.11 or 5.1, to stand fast, therefore, in the freedom in which Christ has set you free. It says in 1 Corinthians 7.23, you were bought with a price do not become the slaves of men. I'm preaching a full-orbed gospel here. I'm not talking about being free in your mind. I'm not talking about being able to think whatever thoughts you want to think in your mind. I'm talking about really, actually, in this world, in this life, living as free people only under the law of God. With neither human, nor demon, nor substance, nor addiction, nothing having the legal right or the power to contradict any of that. You have a right to be free. Where'd you get that from? From the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, I'm not mad at y'all. I'm announcing good news. I'm mad at Christians living in captivity. I'm mad at the devil who manages to trick you and I into living in slavery a lot longer than we should live. That's worth being upset about. And I'll tell you what, Christians in America have a heritage that we have abandoned. That's not just that you and I should be zealous about protecting our own freedom, but we should be the first ones lining up to set free those who are oppressed right now. We should be the first ones. And what does the Christian church do? We side with the tyrants. Well, law and order, you know, salute the flag. They're the guys in control. Dietrich Bonhoeffer used to picture the uh, Nazi state as a chariot that a madman was driving through Germany, running over people and killing, the, killing everybody in the countryside. And he said, the Christian has three rights and three duties 
And the first one is he certainly has the right and the duty to question the insane driver of that chariot and say, what the heck are you doing? You need to turn this thing around and call a halt. He also said we have a right and a duty to be on the side of those who are being run over. We need to protect them. We need to pull them out of the way. We need to, we need to make sure that chariot doesn't get to any of them. You know what the third one was? He said you have a right and a duty to spike those chariot wheels. Oh, that's dangerous, Pastor. That's American. That's American. Our land is filled with insane chariot drivers, and you've got Christians saying, well, let's be good Christians and grease the wheels for them. You have a right and a duty to be free, and you have an obligation to spread the freedom. Not just spiritually in my mind, I, I, but actual real freedom in this life. And a lot of people preach the gospel of just saving my soul because they don't really believe. They haven't experienced it themselves. They do not believe that power. I'm done talking. Let's, uh, let's pray and just say, yes, God, this is what I want. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.